It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto. That is uh, 95.7 in Ottawa and 106.5 in Toronto. And also anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in those coordinates, either one of those two, plus E-L-M-N-T-F-M, and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, as I say, anywhere across the country. It's a pleasure to welcome our two guests to the show. And they are Laura Reese. She is uh, an assistant professor of organizational behavior at Queen's University. And uh, Tina Dason. And uh, she is the chaired professor of strategy and organizational behavior at Queen's University as well. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. It's nice Thank to you. be here. Great to be here. And, you know, uh, COVID-19 has introduced a lot of new things to us, the new norm. That's part of what we're going to be talking about here today uh, with the two of you in terms of small business and and how things have changed. Things are uh, now starting to reopen a little bit. Uh, businesses are going to have to think about not only complying with uh, what the province uh, is saying about what you can do to reopen and how and following those procedures and making sure they're intact, but also now they have to think about their employees as well as their their customers um, and and what that entails to open up business for themselves. Uh, it sounds a little daunting, I think, uh, when you, when you put it that way, uh, because we're all somewhat used to the idea now. I think of of the social distancing and and those kind of things. However. Um, when we think about re-engaging on a, on a business level uh, with, with the people coming into our places of work, uh, a, a, if you're an, a, an employer, uh, your employees, you have to take care of those uh, concerns as well as, especially if you're, say, someone with a storefront and, and having to comply and, and uh, think about all those things. Uh, you guys wrote a, an article in The, the Conversation, uh, recovering uh, and, you know, uh, and recovery for small businesses and focusing on easing uh, the employee and customer fears. So uh, we're, we're talking about that today as we, uh, as we said, things are going to start to reopen. So why did you think it was important to share you know, thoughts around this? It's a good question. I think, honestly, a lot of the reason, uh, I mean, we're, we're both professors, so we have a lot of experience in, in areas that we felt could be relevant and potentially you know, helpful for people as, as the world is changing and we're trying to find out this new normal. But I would honestly th- say I think a lot of it has to do with my and Tina's own personal experiences too. We had multiple conversations where we talked about, you know, being worried about going into a shop or a store and how would we know what to do and when would we know it's safe and how would we understand the the new rules and the new normal. Um, you know, I had an experience even recently, even after writing this article where I went into uh, a shop and I had a mask and I, I noticed most people didn't mm. <laughs> actually. And I thought, Gosh, is there something that I that I don't know that they know? You know, am I am I not supposed to wear a mask in this store? Um, so, I, so I think both I of those reasons. That. Yeah, I agree with Laura. I found that uh, this week as well. I went to two places. One was to get a haircut, and uh, one visit was to Costco. And the dramatic difference between a month ago to now, a month ago, I would have said most people were wearing masks. They were really staying two meters apart. And yesterday, I felt like I was in a free-for-all. It was insane at Costco. But yet mm. at my hair uh, stylist shop, uh, the one we mentioned in the article, uh, is amazing. The care that she took and wearing a shield, wearing a mask, directing us, uh, 
you know, sanitizing every station that anyone touched. There were only three people in the storefront at any given time. It was really amazing. I felt so safe and good after uh, experiencing that. So again, I think that shows us that uh, what you can do. So Costco has norms, but they don't enforce them. Hmm. So I think that's also a really interesting thing is that you can have norms, you can request people wear masks, you can request that they practice physical distancing. But if your customers don't, can you go around really trying to enforce that? I thought that was something that I, I was thinking about a lot last night about how we can you know fix that. Yeah, that is interesting. I, uh, by the way, congratulations on getting your haircut. It's almost like I know. amazing, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> I haven't yet succeeded in that. Oh, amazing! I can't even tell you. I was like so happy. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, you know, I had sort of an opposite experience at Costco when I went there. Uh, now, not in terms of of the mask wearing, but certainly the, the distancing between customers and, and people sort of, uh, you know, paying attention to those things. So that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I wonder if it's also that things are becoming more complacent where we live. Laura and mm. I both live in Kingston, mm. and the number of cases has been remarkably low. Mm. And I'm wondering if after three months of uh, mm -hmm. having to physical distance that people are starting to become a little more complacent about it. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Our guard does seem to, uh, to go down quickly when we feel a, a sense of security to some degree. You know, um, okay. Well, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that. When you mentioned haircut, uh, you know, I, I was talking to someone the other day about this, and I, I was wondering about hair itself. You know, is that a concern? Do, do they? Does that carry the virus? You know, uh, it, it, can it be trans transmitted via you know hair? Uh, you know, who knows? I I don't know the answer to that one, but I just thought about that. That was interesting. So a good thing I think that that uh, hairstylists and salons are doing those things not only to protect themselves and their employees, as we're talking about, but also their their customers and making people feel uh, relaxed as best they can under these given circumstances. Can I ask when you were there? Uh, you said you felt comfortable, you felt good about that experience. Did you notice yourself and everyone there wearing masks? Yes. So uh, they actually have a procedure. You have to wait outside mm -hmm. until you're called in. Mm -hmm. There's no waiting area anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone who comes in must sanitize their hands mm -hmm. and they must wear a mask. If right. they don't bring a mask with them, the salon will provide them with a mask. Right. And so no mask, no cut. Right. And I imagine that because that is a very uh, personal uh, kind of encounter that you're having with your hairstylist, you're in a chair, uh, you're, the next customer is going to sit in that chair. So these protocols that uh, about sanitizing after each use, I'm sure all of those kind of things uh, have to be implemented yeah. as well. Yeah. And it takes a lot longer. So yeah. that's the other thing I noticed that what could typically be maybe a 45 minute visit is going to take maybe an hour, an hour and 15 and they allow about a half hour in between each booking. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really interesting as well. Right. So as you started to not only have your own, uh, your own experiences and, and came up with this idea to, to write uh, this, this article so that you could share this information with people, uh, what did you, what, how, where did that thinking take you? Uh, you know, how far down the rabbit hole did you go? And, and then you came up with this article, but can you, can you sort of take us through that process to lead us into the article as well? Sure, I can, I can take a quick stab at that one. Um, I, I, so our, our research 
really kind of dovetailed nicely, I think, in, in creating this article. Tina mm. and I were just talking as colleagues, and a lot of my work is on emotions and mm. how we recognize them and manage them and use them in, in daily life. And one of the common biases that we have and, and that I always try to convince my students to, to get past is trying to ignore emotions, right? They're not useful. I want to be professional. I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm an adult, et cetera. And, mm. and the thing is, they just are. They're what make us human. As I tell my students, there's no good or bad emotion. It, it just is. So, uh, you know, the better answer in a sense is learning how to use those emotions in a clever right. way, how to, right. how to make them helpful mm. uh, and informative, because really emotions are an incredible source of information. Sure. You know, so rather than getting rid of this information or ignoring it, why right. would any sort of reasonable person say, no, I'm just, <laughs> you know, right. let's use them, let's recognize yeah. them, let's figure out how to make them to our advantage. Um, and Tina and I were talking about, you know, a lot of her excellent work is on traditions and rituals mm -hmm. and how those sort of everyday things really give us comfort and a sense of normalcy. And, you know, when you when you sort of throw much of that out the window, obviously, we're feeling a lot of complex, complicated emotion, which is one of the areas that I do a lot of work in that feel really uncomfortable and really unsettling, sometimes even foreign. Um, and so when you kind of take those two things together, I think we realize, hey, we could we could actually have some, some interesting overlap and sort of use both of our expertise here to, to come up with some, we thought, hopefully helpful ideas. <laughs> Right, for sure. Uh, as you just mentioned, emotions, fear, anxiety—they're—they're uh, they're two of the things you you point out in dealing with this situation. That, from a, an employee, an employer perspective, uh, specifically, you you were looking at small businesses, and, and I guess what I'm what I'm thinking about is. As you started to, as you as you you both pointed out, you've had experiences recently with this kind of thing, um, so. What what does a uh, what what came through your mind in terms of the employer, uh, what they have to think about in terms of dealing with their particular situation to ease the concerns of their employees yeah. and customers? Yeah, I think I think two things is one is communication mm -hmm. with both your employees as well as your customers. So laying out what expectations should be and what they are going to be. And then I think um, also thinking about um, not just communication, but can you set up new rituals? So let me touch on the communication bit. Before I went in for my haircut, I received an email with a set of instructions mm. that I really thought were amazing from mm. my stylist that said, you need to arrive at this time. Here's how you're going to wait. Here's what we expect of you. And everything was done in accordance to that email. Mm. So I thought that was fantastic. The other experience I had recently was going to a grocery store where they had a greeter standing outside that explained to people how the arrows in the store mm. lanes work. And, um, and what to expect and that if you pick up produce, don't touch 20, mm. maybe just pick up one or two and mm -hmm. take what you picked up and, and move, keep moving along and to keep your distance. And I thought that little bit of communication to customers really, really resolves what Laura was talking about in terms of fear, anxiety, and all those emotions that we experience. The other is trying to think about new uh, rituals that can be formed when you are wearing a mask like so much of going in like you know I've been with my stylist for 18 20 years I know her really well the first thing I want to do is give her a hug and a smile and <laughs> you can't do that right so how do you create sort of new greetings new ways of interacting with people that allow you to still have that 
um, emotional, uh, you know, sort of uh, happiness that you experience mm. when you see people. And did you come up with anything? Yeah, I mean, what what are what are sort of new rituals that mm. people can do? I mean, I think uh, thinking about uh, you know expressing your needs, but also um, I think shields instead of masks mm. are somewhat better. So we've been kind of talking about that. I know Laura and I had a quite, uh, uh, conversation about that recently. Laura, what do you what do you think? I, I mean, it's just such an interesting. Um, point that you raised. I mean, a lot of my work on emotions comes through from the face, right? And when you take mm. away a lot of those cues, you know, do we become expressive in different ways? Maybe we're more, uh, we use our hands more or we use our voices more. Um, you know, when I went in the shop, there was this plastic screen between me and, and the, the person at the cash register. And, you know, we were both wearing masks and, and it was, I felt like an idiot. Honestly, I forgot my <laughs> pin number in the moment. I, <laughs> I couldn't understand what he was saying to me. <laughs> he also kind of laughed and said, I can't really understand what you're saying either. Uh, so, you know, kind of increasing that patience and that kind of personal moment. I'm mm. sure it took much longer than it would have, you know, prior to COVID to, to check out in that, in that instance. But, you know, kind of creating this new sense of, I recognize your emotions. Thanks for dealing with mine. Mm. You know, we can, we can find kind of ways either to use our eyes more expressively or even just laugh a little bit more to kind of bring in that personalized touch, which I think is one of the reasons we focused on small businesses, right? One of the greatest opportunities in small businesses is that they have those personal, individualized, mm -hmm. customized relationships with their customers that many larger companies can't, you know, don't have sort of the adaptability and the flexibility to enact in those ways that can take more time and things like this for companies as Tina was saying, you know, budget twice the time, maybe for any kind of appointment, but really do give that sense of interaction and, and communion and relationship that is kind of wonderful and unique to small businesses. Mm. Interesting what you just said there about being at the cash out and, you know, sort of forgetting the, 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 sort of almost automatic uh, <laughs> response we have, you know, uh, because of the rituals being thrown out of, uh, you know, thrown out the door mm -hmm. uh, and forgetting what was going on. Interesting. And I think a lot of other people would, would probably have that same reaction at some point in time. Uh, I know, uh, I know I had a similar thing when I was trying to figure out how, how was I supposed to pay, uh, you know, <laughs> right. uh, you, you know um, so yeah, exactly. That, that's a great point. But I guess what we're talking about, though, is um, we have to uh, the, the the owners and everyone has to establish uh, reestablish a sense of trust. Yeah, and that's going to mm -hmm. be really hard, I think, because um, one is just yesterday I noticed that how do you source PPE? There aren't easy mm. ways to source mm. um, personal protective equipment that right. you need both for your employees as well as for your customers. So I think the added burden of establishing trust that your place is sanitized, that you've sourced the PPE you need to be able to service your clients, all of that kept going through my head as well as the fact that on any given day that small business owner might have six to eight people in their shop now they're only having to deal with three so think about the monetary losses that that will you know mm. make have them incur it's quite uh, it's quite severe so thinking about that i think and and um and establishing trust that you're doing everything you can while at the same time you're also probably operating at somewhat of a loss 
Yeah, it is a great point. And as you were as you were talking through that, I was thinking exactly that that, that some we've heard some people are actually charging a surcharge because of of COVID. And uh, and when I first heard that, I thought, hmm. You know, but when you, you you think about what's involved, the extra time that is being taken between customers, it isn't just you know come on in and and it's a, as you pointed out earlier a free for all. It, it's no longer like that. There is there's a specific way of handling this so that we go back to establishing trust and also uh, trying to uh, make uh, your employees safe, your customers safe, and have a safe environment for everyone. Because I'm sure that. Uh, an employer certainly wants themselves to feel comfortable and and at, at ease because just being a an owner of a, of a business it has its its own frustrations and liabilities on its own right there right off the start so adding covid into the situation uh, could really add some stress to to a store owner uh, uh, and and their their thinking process yeah, and their fear and anxiety if mm. an employee gets sick mm-hmm. or a customer gets sick and did they do everything they can. And I think that's kind of linked back to trust and Laura's work on fear and ambivalence and, mm-hmm. you know, thinking through that. Mm-hmm. And particularly since everybody's level of trust uh, and their own sort of caution and fear differs dramatically. I mean, some people will be very comfortable going around without a mask. Others, myself included, you know, still really want to wear it anytime I'm out in a, in a shop or in public. And that's, uh, I think, particularly challenging also for small businesses. Right. It's uh, our pleasure to have uh, Laura Reese and uh, Tina Dason with us. And we are talking about stores, shop owners reopening. And what can we expect when we walk into a, a shop? What, uh, how do you feel about uh, going back into the shops as we get back to some sort of normalcy? We will be right back with more right after this. <laughs> Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in those coordinates, plus E-L-M-N-T-F-M, and then listen on your device of choice, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. It's uh, our pleasure to have uh, Laura Reese and uh, Tina Dason with us, and they are. Uh, Laura is an assistant professor of organizational behavior at Queen's University, and Tina is um, uh, the chaired professor of strategy and organizational behavior at Queen's University. It's a pleasure to have them both with with us, and we are talking about uh, stores, shop owners reopening now that things are starting to uh, loosen off a little bit. And what can we expect when we walk into a, a shop? What? Uh, how do you feel about uh, going back? In into the shops and uh, and all those uh, not only perceptions but uh, how how are we going to uh, re-encounter with each other as we get back to some sort of normalcy in society and we talked about the reestablishment of trust and uh, we, now masks you know it's been brought up a few times about how do we deal with that and I, I see people tweeting about it as well there's still still some confusion around how should masks be utilized and um, I, I think that in general, what I'm seeing people say is, if I'm out for a jog, if I'm out on my own, I'm not going to wear a mask. But if anywhere that I am mixing with other people, whether I'm out in, in, a, in a store shopping uh, or in transporta- public transportation, anywhere out 
like that. I'm going to be, it's only uh, fair to wear a mask, not only for your own protection, but for other people's protection as well. Yeah, I think making masks mandatory would be the best thing that the government could do for us. I mean, I was listening yesterday where they said that uh, they don't want to make it mandatory mm-hmm. because it's hard to police. I believe that was the provincial right. government. But I actually really think that if you look at the case histories of countries that have managed to take hold of this whole situation, mandatory mask wearing is actually what's helped to bring it down and and curb the spread. So I think it's really, really important. If we don't want to keep experiencing multiple waves in the future, we need to really think about making masks mandatory. Mm. Absolutely. And and with that, um, when we we think about uh, small businesses reopening and trying to take into account all these the things that people have to do uh, for themselves for the business for their employees and for their customers etc um and you guys made some great points about uh you know going and and having some personal experiences of your own about either receiving an email and uh, being told what to be what is expected of you which uh, i guess made you feel better now you know what to expect when i show up uh, as well as the times involved, uh, because things are not just, uh, you know, show up when you, when you want anymore. Um, but I guess the other thing is that uh, we talked about the, the trust that has to be established. But uh, there's, a, there's a person, uh, there is a shop owner, and, and I think that one of you uh, mentioned this as well, and that is that uh, it, being sensitive to everyone's uh, reality, and and that goes back to because everyone is different. Everyone has a different idea of do we even do I even need to wear a mask? Um, so their their sense of comfort uh, in this situation varies from person to person. Yeah, I mean, I think I, you and you've hit it exactly, and it's it's a difficult question of how do you balance you know everybody's reality being slightly different. You know, I was uncomfortable in the shop that I mentioned when I saw many others weren't wearing masks. Um, maybe I made somebody else uncomfortable because I thought, why is she wearing a mask? Is she ill? Um, this kind of thing. You know, I, I would say I'm, I'm not a medical professional or a government mm. official, so I would always encourage anybody to follow the best guidelines. I mean, they have the world's best scientists uh, and medical professionals working on this issue. So I think we should trust, <laughs> you know, what the, what the professionals say on that. For me personally, you know, I think uh, one way to spin it is is to think for me, you know, a mask is not comfortable. No one intuitively likes, I would I would say, to wear a mask. Mm. But if you think about it, not only am I pre- protecting myself, but I'm also kind of doing, uh, fulfilling my responsibility to society. You know, if I can help someone else avoid getting sick, I might be ill and not know it. Mm. And that would be my worst sort of nightmare to think maybe I actually contributed to someone else falling ill um, who might not, you know, be able to handle it well or something. And so for me, it's a Personally, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's also a social responsibility, right? Um, you know, to to follow those guidelines. Yeah, and, I agree. Yeah. And from a small business perspective, I guess uh, the last thing is someone that has a shop that just is reopening would would want uh, uh, is is that they have found out that someone has tested positive, either an employee or or a customer that came through, and is being is being told to shut down for you know uh, a period yeah. of time again. Uh, I guess um, as we as we think to to the future, um, what what uh, what are your thoughts on, on on that as we as we look to the future, uh, Laura? We start with you. 
Sure. And, and you mean thoughts on, on sort of the whole thing and managing customer business relationships or about yeah. uh, masks? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, I think it's, it's a really good question. I think it's something that we have to negotiate and navigate together, honestly. I think, uh, you know, and particularly with small businesses, as, as we were you know, discussing earlier, that personal kind of individualized, customized relationship with customers really gives them, I think, an opportunity. There are a lot of challenges to being a small business. Absolutely. We've already seen many of them fail. But it can be a wonderful opportunity to kind of co-create these new rituals, as Tina was uh, was mentioning, um, and traditions uh, in a in a nice new way, right? Mm. How do we work together, and and even it could potentially even deepen that relationship. You know, Tina, mm. I think probably would say she feels even more loyalty now to her <laughs> to her stylist. You know, given how comfortable and how sensitive that stylist has been to everybody's individual needs, and to communicating clearly, to co-creating those rituals together, to helping people learn. Uh, the new sort of normal, the new rituals that we go forward with. But I think, you know, we like a sense of normalcy and comfort and predictability in our lives, uh, knowing that we understand our emotions and and they're not sort of going crazy. There's not a lot of uncertainty or fear or anxiety or this kind of thing. And so the more we can sort of create that together, I think uh, there will be a new normal that it, it can actually, um, you know, we'll come through it. I think mm. it'll be, it'll be, it'll be okay. Right. Okay. Tina? Yeah, I agree that the future is certainly going to be different than what we had. And maybe what we had in the past was not perfect and not always great either. So I agree with this. I think one thing that I would say, though, is that while our knowledge is still evolving, it seems that every couple of weeks we learn something new, we learn new protocols, is that we're going to have to continue maintaining an ongoing dialogue with our employees as well as our customers and be asking them for feedback. Are we Mm. doing it right? What could we do better? And then I think employers need to be thinking about, am I willing to calibrate and how much? And so how far are we willing to go to ensure safety? What are things that are must-dos and what are things that are nice-to-haves? And I think we're going to start to see some navigation and negotiation on those issues going forward, too, of of how far do we actually go. Mm. Yeah. Any final words uh, just before we wrap up? Laura? Well, I, you know, I think I'm, I'm reminded of something that actually came um, as an employee email to Queen's employees recently that really struck me. And I, I tried to sort of pass along the same idea to my students is that, you know, there is a lot of uncertainty. There are a lot of emotions. There are a lot of, you know, new rituals that we need to create and figure out. And I think the biggest, uh, the biggest piece of advice was to be kind to one another. Mm. Mm, right? Yeah. Um, uh, Tina? Yeah, and I would say I would echo that as well. I think compassion is super, super important because everybody's reality is so different. I may go out and be really anxious and full of fear and somebody else may be perfectly okay. And so we need to we need to understand that everyone will be coming at this from a different lens and how we can uh, address and appreciate that. All right. Sounds great. Thank you both for uh, uh, calling in and taking part with us on Moment of Truth today. We really appreciate it. 
Thanks for having us. Thanks very much, David. Yeah, our pleasure. Laura Reese, uh, Assistant Professor of Organizational Behavior at Queen's University, and Tina Dason, uh, Chaired Professor of Strategy and Organizational Behavior also at Queen's University. It's been a pleasure to have them both on, talking about small businesses and how to ease employee and customer fears. That's this part of the program, but please do not go away because we will be right back with more right after this. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, and anywhere across the country if you download the Radio Player Canada app. And then uh, just type in those coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M. And listen on your device of choice, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right across the country. It's a pleasure to welcome our next two guests to the show. We have with us Anissa Moreva, and she is a PhD student at the School of Kinesiology at the Faculty of Health Sciences at Western University. And also we have uh, Harry Prapavasis, and he is director of the Exercise and Health Psychology Lab at Western University. So welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. And in this day and age where we are all kind of locked down, not getting maybe for many of us uh, as much exercise as we would maybe like, and uh, maybe feeling a little lethargic. Uh, I know that am I describing myself right now? Maybe, uh, but anyway, uh, we're here to talk about uh, something, Anissa, that you worked on specifically, uh, having to do with looking at coffee versus cardio, uh, from this article that was written in the conversation, and uh, looking at uh, at at those at the possibility of can you trade one off for the other. That's right. So what, what made you think about comparing these two things? Um, that's a great question, actually. Um, so the way we sort of arrived at this question was looking a little bit at some work that was previously done by our group, which was looking at whether we could use exercise to reduce tobacco cravings. Mm. And that work sort of spawned a few follow-up questions where we were thinking, well, if um, exercise is able to reduce tobacco cravings and withdrawal symptoms, what about other substances that can create withdrawal symptoms such as caffeine? So we started looking into caffeine's sort of energizing and alertness effects. And we know that exercise also provides similar effects. So we thought, well, has there been any work done to compare the two and sort of put them head to head? And we found that there wasn't really any work that looked at that. And that's kind of where we fit in. Hmm. You know, it it brings a whole lot of other questions to mind. First question uh, that that comes to mind is, um, I, I guess, and I may be jumping ahead a little bit here because I was thinking is how long does that last? I, I'm a bit, I like to jog. I love jogging. Um, I know some people can't stand it, but I really like it because I find that uh, I, it gives me a great time to think. It gets me outside. Uh, and, uh, and, and also um, that I do feel that energy boost. I, I got to the point at one point where I was you know, thinking about trying to do long haul sort of jogs and get on the, you know, runners talk about that high you get after, after a certain time. Right. And I, I do remember getting just to that point 
and and feeling that uh, that excitement, uh, you know. And I went, "Wow, this is this is pretty cool." Um, so let's 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 get back into the nitty gritty of this, um, and and maybe we'll touch on this point that I was wondering about: how long the you know how long the benefits of each of these last as well. Right. Um, so that's a great question. And in terms of caffeine, we know the profile of caffeine a little bit better in terms of how long those kind of energizing and um, cognitive benefits last, mm. but they do vary from person to person. Mm. So what we do find is that with caffeine, the peak plasma is reached at about 40 minutes. So that's when essentially caffeine is fully in the system. And then after that, those effects can last from one to three hours, depending on factors such as the individual's metabolism, how regularly they consume coffee, and things like that. Mm. Well, with exercise, we've seen again, a range. So for some people, um, those energizing benefits can last 30 minutes, but there's been some work to show it can last up to an hour. Mm. Now, you started to look at, at the working memory side of things, how long, what the That's benefits correct. are to both exercise and caffeine on the working memory. That's correct. So working memory is a cognitive function that sort of essentially focuses on being able to hold information in your mind temporarily and to work with that information in the moment. Hmm. Okay. And, and why specifically on the working memory did you look at? So the reason we look chose working memory is um, twofold. One of that is prior work that has looked at both exercise and caffeine has examined working memory. So we wanted to see whether our results sort of fit with what's been previously done. And the second reason we've chose working memory is it's a function that you use in your everyday life. So for example, when you're at the grocery store and you're sort of recalling items that you need in the moment, checking the prices, updating that information, that's an example of using working memory in your everyday life. Hmm. And <laughs> I don't know if this is a strange question to ask, but was there a difference or, or were you looking at all in terms of the, uh, the amount of caffeine that one gets? From a cup right. Of so what we did in this study is we gave a dose that's 1.2 milligrams per kilogram. So that means that the dose of caffeine is um, adjusted for the weight of the individual, mm. but it's approximately equivalent to a cup of coffee. So we chose this dose because it's pretty representative of the majority of your regular caffeine consumers that have a cup a day. However, we did get information on what people regularly consume, and we did have a range of consumers. The average was about one to two, but we did have some consumers on higher ends. Hmm. Okay. Um, so you looked at that, you got this average cup of coffee worked out, and you started looking at the comparisons with the working brain. What, what, what did you start to see? So what we saw is that essentially once we got the caffeine consumers to come in, they do a baseline sort of assessment. So what's their working memory at sort of on a normal day? And then on one day they were given caffeine and on another day they were given the exercise treatment. So that was the 20 minute brisk walk at a moderate intensity. And what we found was that essentially both caffeine and exercise improved the accuracy of their working memory. So essentially, they made less errors on the task. Hmm. So uh, there's a check mark for both coffee and exercise at this point in terms of the working memory. That's uh, correct. 
but uh, there's I, I'm guessing uh, there's more benefits to the exercise side of things. Right. So where the exercise um, part sort of improves other aspects is that we know that with exercise, there's lots of cardiovascular as well as skeletal health benefits. There's also benefits in terms of well-being as well as sleep. So in those aspects, that's where sort of exercise has more holistic um, benefits. Hmm. Okay. What would your recommendations be coming out of this? Well, some recommendations for sure is that if you are feeling that sort of energy slump that, you know, happens sometimes in the middle of the day, an option instead of perhaps going right away to grab a coffee is to go for a walk. So whether that, you know, now during quarantine times, whether that's getting up from your computer, doing a few laps in your house or safely in your neighborhood, if you're able to do so, and then coming back to work is a great option to examine. And for those individuals who perhaps you're having trouble with caffeine withdrawal, mm. another option to sort of bust those cravings and headache and other sort of negative withdrawal symptoms is to, again, get up, go for a walk, go for a stretch. Hmm. Okay. This all sounds, uh, this all sounds encouraging. Um, what if you're, what if you, you can't, what if you're, you're just, you're working, you're under the gun, you got to get something done. Is it, is it safe then to say maybe, well, maybe I'll grab that cup of coffee and use that until I can get out to go for that walk? Well, that's definitely a possibility. Of course, there are um, sort of instances, perhaps when you're not able to, you know, get up and move as much as you like. And that's an option for sure, where you're able to, you know, have a cup of caffeine or coffee rather safely. And essentially, in individuals that are um, overall healthy, so, you know, no existing like muscle tremors or, you know, heart concerns and things like that, um, it's typically safe to engage in having a cup of coffee or two. <laughs> right. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, and I'm your uh, host, David Moses, and uh, that is 106.5 in in uh, Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. Sounds like I could do with a cup of coffee right now. And uh, anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in those coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M. And uh, then just uh, follow the directions and you can listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's a pleasure to have uh, our two guests with us here on the show. Uh, we've been speaking with Anissa Morava. She is the uh, PhD student uh, with the School of uh, Kinesiology and the Faculty of Health Sciences at Western University. As well, listening in the background, uh, we have Harry Prapavasis, and he is the director of the Exercise and Health uh, Psychology Lab at Western University. And it's a pleasure to have them both. We're talking about the effects of coffee versus cardio and the benefits of, are there, are there benefits to having a cup of coffee? Do they do the same thing uh, if you have a cup of coffee uh, to, to uh, give you that boost that you, that you might get from the, the coffee in terms of performing better for small tasks like the working memories we've been discussing with um, Anissa? So um, we've seen that there are benefits to a cup of coffee can help you in that regard. Of course, there's more benefits if you're going to exercise because you're getting, uh, well, your body's getting uh, the benefit of the exercise and you're also getting the same stimulus from that exercise. Now, uh, Anissa, one of the things that a lot of people feel 
uh, and and suffer with. Uh, we all get that sort of afternoon kind of drag time. You know, we right. just feel, oh man, uh, now I'm going to go get that cup of coffee because it, it's going to help me get through the afternoon. Um, I guess one of the things you're, you also found, though, is that, you know, if you want to avoid that, uh, you can also uh, just go and go for a brisk walk if you can. For, for how long of a walk? Does, you know, like, how long do you have to walk in order to feel that benefit of, of the coffee? Right. So um, in our uh, study, we found that a 20 minute walk at a brisk pace. So that's a pace where you can still maintain conversation, but it, you know, it's getting mm. a little bit harder to maintain regular conversation. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of the pace where we found these benefits. Okay. Now, um, the other thing, and you mentioned this is um, for people, I guess, especially people are looking to cut down on coffee. Uh, if they go out for a, that brisk walk that you're talking about, that can help them reduce the withdrawal symptoms that you, you mentioned earlier about that, you know, we've all, all experienced, if anybody, the, the coffee drinkers uh, on a regular basis, you get the, you might get the headache, you might get a little grouchy, you might get a feel a little f fatigue. Um, it can help with, with those things. Exactly. So that's sort of what we found in um, the second part of our study. Essentially, we had our participants um, undergo a 12-hour withdrawal period, and then they had to come into the lab. And as you can imagine, like you said, a lot of people reported headache, you know, decreased alertness, feeling low in terms of their mood and their energy. And then we found that when we were, they were given either coffee or exercise that we were able to relieve some of those symptoms. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, I found interesting from the article was that what you, you said was even though that coffee, uh, people were feeling that, the, the working memory wasn't affected. Right. So that was actually a surprising finding right. um, from our study where we sort of anticipated that they would have um, improvements to their working memory from baseline, but we found that they didn't differ. And this could be um, due to a host of reasons. It could be that perhaps the 12 hour withdrawal wasn't sufficient or long enough to mm. induce decrements to working memory. Mm. It may be that perhaps a higher dose is needed in a withdrawal state to sort of get back to baseline. So those are a few things that in the future, perhaps we might investigate. Hmm. And so taking this, this information and gathering it up and, and you've got some information on coffee and the benefits of that, uh, you've got also the, the information about how it ties in and, and, uh, and can offset, uh, or, or can work along with, if you were going out for a brisk walk or getting some exercise um, instead of a cup of coffee, what do you hope to do with this uh, going forward, this information? Yeah, so going forward, a few things that would be really interesting to examine would be to see what happens with various doses of caffeine right. and various doses of exercise. So what would happen if, you know, we were looking at two or three cups of coffee or light, moderate or high intensity exercise? Mm. Um, do we see sort of a response that, you know, is increasing? Does it plateau at a certain point? It would be also interesting to look at, you know, different populations, for example. So some individuals who are, for example, prone to anxiety, uh, caffeine exacerbates those symptoms. So perhaps it'd be interesting to look at, well, whether exercise would be a better replacement in that. So there's definitely a few directions to look at. 
You know, I, I think uh, some people might be really happy to sign up for that next round of uh, of things if there's coffee involved and people, you know, people enjoy a good cup of coffee, that's for sure. Uh, and, and like you were saying, the, the doses, uh, and I guess, you know, the other thing that comes to mind is what happens, if, you know, somebody, you know, like myself, I think, hey, what happens if you do both at the same time then? Yeah, (laughs) definitely. I think that's another very logical follow-up question to see whether, well, what if I combine my Mm. walk with my coffee? Mm -hmm. Do the benefits sort of add up or do they sort of plateau? That'd be another direction we'd want to look at. And and, or are they counterintuitive to each other? You know, does it... Right, that also could be a possibility. Yeah. Uh, Anything else that you can think of that we haven't touched on uh, in regard to this uh, this wonderfully... uh, um, you know, fun uh, idea that we were talking about here today. Um, I, I might just chirp in here. Please. I mean, one of the things um, that I, I, I'd like your, your audience to just be aware of is that this kind of acute exercise model can be, um, can be applied to other substance use besides mm. just caffeine. Okay. Um, Anissa mentioned that it started with, uh, with, with tobacco yeah, uh, we that um, you know acute exercise and tobacco models, but you know that can be extended to look at um, you know vaping models, uh, something that's you know that uh, a lot of young people are doing today, um, and you know it could also be applied to you know alcohol alcoholic models or alcohol models and opioid use and mm. uh, cannabis use, like the the potential of exercise having some kind of uh, effect on these kinds of substance uses and understanding why that effect occurs is kind of where, you know, like our, our, our focus is in terms of, you know, what, what the, you know, what future work we're going to sort of do. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing that comes to mind when you were saying that is, that in, during this situation that we find ourselves in right now with uh, the COVID situation, myself, uh, every day while I would be going to the office uh, prior to this, I was always walking, like you were saying, and, and you see about 20 minutes uh, in both directions on the way to work to get the train, whatever it might be, getting off the train, walking again, and I'd always walk briskly. So I was always getting that, and I was always aware of it because I thought it's great exercise. I know my doctor, I after a year of doing that, and I hadn't lost any weight I went to my doctor and I said I don't get this I'm walking briskly every day you know I'm working up a sweat uh, I feel good I, and I'm like doing it but I haven't lost like an ounce why not and he said how long are you walking and I said about 15 minutes 15 20 minutes and he said yeah you got to walk longer than that <laughs> to lose weight so you got to burn fat it's got to be longer than that so I thought it was really interesting but of course he said really good cardio stuff though that you're doing so you know there's that benefit and I did feel the effects that that um, that that uh, boost of energy uh, that I always loved now that I'm we're in this lockdown situation and not doing those walks every day I'm noticing a compound effect over time that I'm feeling less I'm feeling more lethargic. I don't want, you know, I'm having a harder time getting out to do exercise, to get my walk in. And and it's really interesting how that is counterintuitive when you're not doing it. And and it becomes uh, almost a struggle to start doing the things you need to do. Definitely. It's uh, it's a new situation for a lot of people to be in. Um, and every time that, you know, there is something like that, it takes time for, you know, to you to adjust your behavior and to sort of, think in creative ways. So like you said, trying to swap that, you know, 
grabbing for a coffee with even just doing a flight of stairs in your mm. house is something that you can do and just to get yourself back into that movement um that movement that you do before sort of we were in this situation right yeah i i mean um there's some there's some pros and cons here that are operating like clearly when people are in isolation uh like yourself, you're, you're saying, well, I'm losing the opportunity to get out and move around, uh, the 20 minutes that I, you know, that I, that I typically walk every day is, has been compromised, but there's other situations where, you know, there's opportunity to actually to engage in more activity. Um, we're, we're writing an article right now, another article for the conversation of how, you know, this pandemic has created an opportunity for people to reevaluate basically how they get about, transporting themselves every day to work and there's there's been a, a real interest in in bicycle use over the pandemic mm. because it's it's perceived safer than getting on a you know on a busy bus or a busy streetcar right. or a busy subway right and uh, we think that's a fantastic you know a fantastic uh, sort of positive change that's resulted but you know what we would like to see happen is that that you know continues and maintains itself as opposed to when it's, you know, considered safe to go out and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in society, if you'd like, that people then don't just gravitate back to, you know, the busy streetcar and the busy subway and, and the busy train. They actually enjoy riding their bike to work. They, you know, they enjoy the fact that uh, it's safe and, uh, and, and, and that it's efficient and it saves money and it's good for your health and it's good for the environment and the list goes on and on. And, and, and so there's some positive things with activity that might actually come out of this pandemic that we're going through. Yeah, let's hope so. I, I've heard that as well. And uh, I've heard about those, those ideas of looking at alternate ways that people are, are thinking of these things. So I appreciate you bringing that up. It's a, a great way for us to, to end our conversation here today uh, on that high note of looking at, uh, you know, enjoying a cup of coffee every once in a while, but also not forgetting that it's important for us not not only to, to exercise for our, our own health, but also for the benefits that you are pointing out right here with this article that you, you have on that comparison between uh, coffee and, and cardio. So, uh, Anissa Moravia, I appreciate you very much uh, coming forward to uh, work on this and share this, this article that you did and, uh, and bring this information forward. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about it. It's our pleasure. And uh, Harry, it's been our pleasure to have you there to uh, to also listen in and, and throw those uh, those other comments out that you did. And, we, you know, by the way, we look forward to hearing more about that next article. Uh, maybe we'd love to have you back on to discuss that when it's, uh, when it's out. Okay. Thanks for having us. It's our pleasure. That is Anissa Moravia. She is a PhD student with the School of Kinesiology at the Faculty of Health Sciences at Western University, as well as Harry Prapavasis, and he is the Director of Exercise and Health Psychology Lab at Western University. It's a pleasure to have them both on the show. And we want to tell you, maybe you can go grab a quick cup of coffee, but come right back because we're going to have more for you right here on Element FM. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.